Welcome to ConX, a global leadership platform for construction executives. This podcast is delivered weekly featuring construction executives. Today, I have uh, Tim Phillips with me here today. And uh, how are you doing this morning, Tim? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And uh, um, rather me, uh, you know, go through all your history and everything. And uh, I, I can tell that you're a humble guy because you don't brag on yourself too much here. But uh, um, you have a pretty interesting history, um, uh, Tim. So can you kind of walk us through, um, you know, where you're at now and kind of go, you know, or take you from where you where you started to where you're at now? Sure. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a graduate of Arizona University with a civil engineering degree. Uh, strangely enough, you know, 40 years ago, it was in 1980, it seems like, golly, I'm not that old. <laughs> but graduate graduated with an engineering degree uh, from Arizona State University. Uh, most of my career uh, has been with public sector, uh, mostly in the water resources field, uh, but within that sector obviously uh, lots of infrastructure construction uh i've worked with uh, uh, irrigation companies uh, flood control districts and uh, the last position i was the chief engineer and general manager for the flood control district of maricopa county for worked with them for seven years was engineer for 10 years uh building flood control infrastructure in uh you know maricopa county here in arizona uh, the other thing uh, is I got commissioned as a site lieutenant in the Arizona National Guard in 1979 and uh, branched Army Corps of Engineers uh, and uh, had a tremendous career, uh, kind of the dual career of uh, was 31 years in the Guard, retired as a Brigadier General and uh, just a tremendous opportunity to play the civilian uh, engineering construction role against the military engineering construction role, and then leadership on both sides. So I've uh, had a very, very blessed career in that sense, the kind of dual-hatted and being able to play both. Uh, another thing that I was, did, I was ad, adjunct faculty at Arizona State University in their School of Business for a couple years uh, teaching leadership to uh, graduating uh, business students, which I thought was incredibly fascinating uh, and kind of had a re, uh, kind of taught me that, you know, there's a lot of really, really good kids that are coming up in the world mm -hmm. that have a lot of potential. And I was really, really impressed with that. I was, uh, I was, it was a really good group. So uh, currently I'm working for Caruso, is a small uh, vertical construction uh, contract here in Scottsdale and a number of projects all over central and northern Arizona. Uh, it's it's a growing company, uh, growing pretty quick, uh, which has, of course, uh, the growing pains that probably most construction companies that are, are, are you know, in a growth mode. So uh, I could say I've had a, a really a wonderful career and a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities. So when you were with the National Guard, at, does it come to a point? Because I have a gentleman that uh, works with me here. Does it get to a point where it becomes like a a full time gig, or uh, you know, um, once you get to a senior level position? Well, I always felt you know, as an officer in the Guard or in the military, I never thought of it. You know, I always hated the term weekend warrior. Uh, related to it because I found that if you're going to do the proper job, it becomes essentially a second job. Uh, you know, you're not doing it full time. You have resources to help you, but your perspective has to be what, what's, what are you planning for the next opportunity to get your soldiers together and train? And, and so throughout my career, I always thought of my role in the national guard as really a second job, not a hobby or just something I did on the side. Uh, I think to, if you're going to lead, you got to be present to lead, and you got to you got to be there. Even if you're sitting in the chair full time, you got to you got to act like you are uh, to do justice to the, the soldiers you're training. 
I always think that's interesting because uh, it's it's got to be tough. I mean, me being a I'm retired Navy, um, which uh, which uh, I'm sure an Army guy like you would have some choice things to say. But but but, but uh, the 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 fact. Oh, is, thank you, <laughs> thank you for your service. That's what I will say. So uh, the uh, but I always thought how tough it would be uh, when I was you know active duty and how tough it would be to juggle having a, a civilian job with being in the military too, because it's like, you know, you're being pulled different ways. And I thought that was kind of an interesting concept. Although I, I, I've encouraged my son to join the national guard because um, it is really, I mean, as far as helping young people out and it kind of gives the best of both worlds a little bit, gives them a chance to do multiple different things. It, it, Certainly teaches you a skill set, and for me, uh, you know, to my very first drill with the National Guard, I'm standing in front of 45 soldiers that are my responsibility. So you're 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 immersed in leadership responsibilities at a at a young age, and I found that to be, you know, while challenging at times because most of those folks were senior to me. Uh, you, you learn leadership styles and how to how do you get the best out of folks at a very early age. So to me, the dual career was was a perfect setup for me, and I would I would recommend your son certainly get into the guard. It's a skill set, not to mention service to the country. Absolutely, absolutely, and it sounds sounds like you because I also taught at the university uh, for a period of time, and it it sounds like. I know for me, it was kind of an extension of being in the service, you know, serving something greater than yourself. And I love, I loved it. I taught for a decade and, uh, I, I could see that you have a love for that too. Uh, because it, it, it is like a love for service, you know? Absolutely. And, and be able to influence, you know, I kind of believe in what I call the, it's a wonderful life syndrome. You know, you, you see in the movie, you don't know who you affect. And how you affect them and the ability to influence you know these students coming out of college and you probably remember when you were there you know you didn't know you didn't really know where you were going or what you were doing to be able to influence them and say you know i hope i've given you something you're going to remember five years from now that's 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 a plus and i used to kid with them i you know in five years if you're using something that you taught in class and you make it big like red ferraris yeah. you know Feel free. Yeah. yeah. So, tell us about uh, Caruso as a as a company. Uh, what's their history? Kind of background about them. Well, we're a general contractor in in Arizona. Uh, done some work in California. Currently, uh, private side work. Uh, the great fame is really golf course, clubhouse, and community center renovations. Uh, been been in the industry since '93, uh, um, but has expanded to public sector work uh, plus the private sector work. Mm -hmm. uh, probably the, the only thing that Caruso self performs is paint. We have a paint division, uh, and so it's it's the you know and it's growth. It's it's a growing company. Each year we've done a little bit better. You know, the economy, you know, comes up and goes down. But right now, construction is still strong. Uh, the biggest challenge is construction is so strong that trying to line up subcontractors is is a unique experience. Uh, because in, in the, you know, the Phoenix Valley, uh, there, there's there's a tremendous amount of work being done. But, uh, but we do... Predominantly, uh, you know, private sector with some public sector work. In fact, the biggest project that we have that I'm acting as a you know, project executive and project manager on is a is a federal project up at uh, up in Flagstaff at an old army depot, uh, which is interesting because I the, the way I came about being Caruso is I was the director of the ordnance operation at Camp Navajo for three years. And Caruso rebuilt two of the, the legacy magazines to hold rocket motors uh, for me then, and now we're doing ten more, and I'm the project manager for it. So it's kind of like I was the old man, I'm the, I'm the <laughs> constructor. 
It's a, it's it's a, a small world. Truth. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, um, so so the focus of the company has mostly been private, but they they've expanded out to be more to do public work also. Where we see, you know, we look look at both sides of the story. Uh, you know, obviously, public sector work is you know you go find it on the various uh, government websites. Much of it's you know CMAR or hard bids. Mm-hmm. Uh, public sector is or the private sector is sort of just the opposite. Kind of like who do you who do you know? How do you make the contact? How do you get out there and and market business development? Uh, it's a little bit slower to develop because it's very, very much more about relationships. So I find that for somebody who's been on the owner's side, it's kind of a fascinating difference in how you go about business. So what got you to, I mean, you've had a long distinguished career. What what got you to, to, to jump on with Caruso, um, you know, I, I in general, besides the fact that you'd probably go crazy sitting at home? Well, it's probably that's probably more the truth than anything else. I think the uh, the coronavirus, the, you know, staying at home was kind of the rehearsal to re- retirement for me. And I, <laughs> nah, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, so I was living up in Flagstaff and had some some uh, challenges that needed to. I had to move back down to the valley, and so I had talked with, as I said, Chris Caruso, who's who's the owner of Caruso Construction. Because he had done work for me up there, and he said, "Hey, why don't you come work with us for a while?" So it was probably more an opportunity than anything else. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I found in my career, both civil and military, that I never had a plan. That it was just opportunities and making myself, you know, doing the schooling, doing the different things that you needed to be able to get opportunities. But those that I knew that saw things in me gave me all of my opportunities. I almost found that uh, that if I applied for the job, that was the kiss of death. It was it was who you knew, the relationships that you built that gave you opportunities. And so here coming to Caruso, a little bit out of my comfort zone, you know, doing uh, you know vertical construction because between flood control and irrigation, it's all horizontal construction. But uh, it it was also a great opportunity to grow, do something that I hadn't done before learn some new skills and uh it's been an interesting journey well and and the funny thing is, is that the skills that you do have uh you know that you obviously i would have to say don't just have you have a master of the ability to plan and and motivate people and coordinate those things you know transcend any you know uh, any industry yes there's some nuances between vertical and horizontal but but obviously the most important thing is to have a team put together you know because like you guys you guys are uh you guys only self-perform paint you can't be an expert in everything you know so you got to really depend upon others and so as i've gotten to this part of my career to me it's very very much about leadership and about you exercise leadership how do you get the most out of folks, you know, I, I have a lot of phrases that I've over my career. And the one that, I mean, it's like when I was teaching uh, leadership, the final was really the 10 notes that I've assembled over the course of my career. But, uh, you know, the military taught me one of their slogans was, you know, mission first people always. And I think that is so important. You can't do and task without the people. But the people are mostly, they're the most challenging of any because we all have different perspectives. And so the value of strong leadership, uh, leadership that knows you know, what they want to do and how to treat people, motivate people, recognizing that that uh, every employee is different and responds to different perspectives. Uh, but if you want to build the team, you know, you as a senior leader have have to be able to figure that out and you have to know fundamentally where you're going uh people follow somebody who knows where they're going even if it's wrong but people follow you know you can't stand back and and expect things to happen so there there was a guy that i worked for 
uh, at the flood control district that I took over after him as the chief engineer. And I said, Mike, how, how do I get your job? And I was a project manager at the time. And he said, you know, you got to have vision. You, you got to know where you're going. And then you've got to be able to articulate that to the folks that, that you work with. And so, you know, my, my journey has really taken me very much to the leadership aspect of, of good organizations, you know, and what's good organizational management. Uh, and, and how do you, you, another one of the phrases was, you, you know, you lead people and you manage things. If you try to manage people, you know, like budgets and things like that, it, it doesn't work. You know, people, uh, and so, yeah, very much leadership is, you know, it's very easy to see where there's strong leadership, very easy to see where there's poor leadership. And I think many organizations that fail is fundamentally a failure of leadership. And, and we know that, you know, there are leaders and bad leaders, but I'm convinced everybody can be taught leadership. It's not something you're given either have or you don't, but you have to want to. And as, as we talked about early on when we talked about military service, leadership is about plus service. It's what are you doing you know, across the board that's, that's selfless. If you're a selfish leader and it's all about you, every one of your employees sees that and you don't get the best that you can get out of uh, the folks that you, you're trying to take this journey with. And that's what the incredible part for me is, is that, you know, no matter if you say it or not, what's important to you is what is communicated through your actions, you know? So it, you don't have to say anything, but if, you know, just by your actions alone, I have to say that's one thing I learned from the military was people are more concerned about what you do than what you say. Absolutely. You, you have to model, you know, when I taught leadership at ASU, I said, you know, at the end of the day, look at the people that you admire as leaders and model their skill set and look at those that you think do a really crappy job and are poor leaders and don't do what they're doing. You know, if at the end of the day, use, use what you have around you and just be conscious and aware of it. You know, that talking down to your employees consistently is not a good trait demanding a certain level of performance is. There's nothing wrong with that. And the subtlety is how do you do that? But, you know, look at the good leaders and model their behavior and look at the bad leaders and don't do what they do. <laughs> you know. what, what significant event happened, you know, kind of in your career that has kind of shaped uh, who you are today? Well, that that's that's sort of a, I thought about that. It's an interesting question because there have been really so many things. I've been given opportunity, uh, had people that saw things that they saw in me and gave me opportunity. You know, to be honest, uh, my wife who passed away a couple years ago, we were married 30 years. Uh, she was the greatest influence in my life. She gave me, and she would say that when I first when we first met, you know, I was kind of that military guy, you know, do it my way or the highway. And she taught, she, she, she really taught me that there's a whole lot more to the equation than that. And that, that it's really all about people. So if, if there was a significant influence in my life, you know, it had to be her. Uh, and, and it was funny. I used to kid or she used to kid with me that, you know, when I got promoted to one star, she said, well, make, make no mistake that if you have one star, I have two stars. <laughs> and the sooner I, sooner I realized that, that uh, it, it was good. But there, there were a number of people that, you know, I, like I said, I, I, there wasn't one significant event because we were kind of went in a lot of different paths, uh, but it was based on people pushing me to, to get the credentials that I needed you know, to learn my craft, to be able to talk in front of people, to have vision, you know, they set me up for the success that I've had. And when I've taught leadership and people say, you know, what's your model for leadership? 
you know, uh, I have a little model that I put together and it has to do with the first thing you do is become the subject matter expert, you know, your, your skill set, your craft. And the second big piece that typically comes after is take any opportunity to present, to stand in front of people, to be able to talk, because if you can't convey your perspective, then you're sort of sunk, right? Uh-huh. So I do presentations anytime you stand in front of people, you've got to do the third piece I talked about was vision. And that kind of comes later. If you got to have a vision, if you can articulate it and you know what you're talking about, then people, then you have kind of the base leadership success. You know, whether it's environment or timing, you never have control over the environment or the timing that you got to make a decision. So set yourself up with a skill set, ability to articulate, and then the ability to have vision. And I think, I wish I had known that, you know, coming out of engineering school, of course, they don't teach you anything about those sort of life skills. Uh-huh. And, and, and I've often thought, well, I'd like to get back into school and teach the engineering students about leadership and about that perspective. I think that'd be an incredible opportunity. But, uh, and you know what's interesting about that is uh, they obviously for good reasons. You know, schools that ter- teach engineering are focused on math and you know <laughs> and uh, uh, statics and dynamics and those those things, those technical things, which are very important. But yet, probably the most important thing is the ability to lead the people um, is something that kind of gets left by the wayside. So, so. Absolutely. And I thought one course in, you know, in 120 hour, hour curriculum on leadership that just maybe gives a little bit of a perspective sets, I think, sets them up better for, you know, the life skills. Well, um, I, I want to let you know, uh, sorry to hear about your wife. Um, I do, you know, my wife came down with cancer a few years ago, with breast cancer a few years ago, and I know that it was kind of a life-changing experience uh, for for me because, you know, you think you always have tomorrow, but no, tomorrow is not promised to anybody, you know? So, uh, and one of the things that David Dean said, which was one of my guests way back and a friend of mine, he said, uh, choose wisely when you choose a spouse because that's the person that's going to either help you or hurt you. <laughs> uh, that's true. I mean, my, without my wife on my side, I would not have been able to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish. So Absolutely. And, and it's the support and having somebody else to be able to, to talk about things and talk through things is important, which is very similar to having a good management team or leadership team in an organization. You know, if you're all off your own thing, you know, you're not collaborating and you need that. You need the diversity of perspectives to make good decisions. Uh, you also need to be able to make the decision. You know, any decision is better than no decision. I was taught a long time ago. Uh, but, but you need, you fundamentally need the people influence you uh, to make the best decisions. I, I, I firmly believe that. So if you were to say personally what skills and abilities that you have um, that have had you be consistently successful, and I know you touched a little bit on this, but that have made you consistently successful while in the military and, and working in the civilian world. And if you, if for those of you who haven't served in the military, um, it's a, it's a, when I say a big deal, it is a big deal when, when you're, when you pick up a star. And if you're not in the military, you probably don't understand how big of a deal that is, but that's a big deal. Um, and obviously, you have some skills and ability that um, are unique or are special. And what do you think those are if you had to pick them out? Well, it, it's sort of strange that you ask the question that way because I don't know that I have any unique abilities or skills. And maybe it's that I. You know, again, I, I talked about opportunity. Part of opportunity was the willingness to go try new things, to continue to grow. Uh, you know, obviously taking the initiative. Uh, you know, making decisions and learning from your failures. Uh, I don't know that I'm any more unique than anybody else. 
maybe it's just in perspective. That's why I say I think anybody can be successful in their career, uh, but they have to. Part of it is truly balancing, are you task-oriented or are you people-oriented? And either end of the spectrum isn't necessarily good. you got to place yourself somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't, I think if there was one word, it was probably just awareness of, of what is going on around you, you know, how people are, you know, are you perspective? Can you sense where they want to go? And then can you look at a job? You know, when I graduated from engineering school, I think it taught me three things. It taught me the language of engineering. It taught me the logical thought, you know, to, to work through problems. And it, and it taught me the references where to go get information. And, and that was fundamentally it. Four years of engineering school taught me that. I think it's, it's just levering that. Always being willing to try something new. Uh, always being willing to learn and then you know i suppose there's an element of luck and that's hooking yourself up with with good people you know somebody told me once uh, you know if you want to be successful surround yourself with successful people and i think that that's important too so i guess it's hard for me to say that there was one particular event or one particular skill set that got me here i think it was more just the journey uh, of you know, taking advantage of opportunities when I had, of course, you know, hard work and, you know, quantity and quality of work always makes a difference. Uh, but also, you know, as I got older and older, it was, it was really more about the people, about the folks that you were doing things for and the people that you were doing things with. Uh, and just having a perspective about, about that. Uh, I wish there was one, unique answer to that but for me it's it's just been a combination of lots of things well you 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 mentioned humility about luck and i always tell people i tell my kids all the time you know luck is really the intersection of preparedness and opportunity you know so being prepared and having the opportunity available and obviously you can never you can't bet upon the opportunity but you got to prepare that there could be one. And, uh, and the other thing is, is just looking through your career. And I talked to, once again, I talked to my kids and I talked to my, uh, you know, all my people about this is it doesn't appear based on your career that you are a risk adverse person. You know, you're willing to roll the dice because you have confidence that <laughs> that if you try something new, you can be successful and you're okay with the thought of, Hey, if I fail, that's okay. You know? So. Well, I think you're, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a fairly conservative person. And sometimes I think, you know, maybe I could have made much more of my career than I did, but you're right. You have to be willing to grow and you have to be willing to try new things. And part of trying new things is, like you said, doing the preparation so that you're not going in totally blind, but you at least you have an you have an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's always it, it's it's risk that's that's managed. You know, uh, I don't know that I was ever at a point where I just say, okay, I don't like what I'm doing today. I'm quitting and going and trying something new. Uh, but it's but it's you know try to find the right words for it. I think it's just looking for being willing to try things and, and pushing the envelope and asking the tough questions. And, you know, there were, there were folks through my career that, you know, there were some that loved me and some that hated me, but at the end of the day, I was always an ethical person, moral and ethical person. And, and while they, you know, while they may not have liked what I did, or the decision I made, uh, they knew it was in the best interest of the organization and, and we were moving forward uh, and and found that to be very successful. Sometimes being able to make a hard decision is is important. Uh, again, making no decision gets you nowhere. So. Well, at, <laughs> at the level that you're at, uh, most decisions that can be solved or more issues can be solved at a lower level uh, 
already uh, are real easy uh, already taken care of so you get handed issues and i'm sure you saw this here that are far more complex and don't necessarily get you a lot get you a lot of fans you know oh absolutely but but i found you know talking about construction in particular at the flood control district we were very aggressive on partnering with our contractors you know we were the owner and we had a partnership relationship that and I, and I strongly believe, even here at Caruso, in, in, in partnering, that you become one team as opposed to a them and us. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was huge. And part of that was how you escalated issues. And I was always a big fan. Before we and the contractor, the owner and the contractor are pointing fingers and blaming at each other, you know, that means it's gone too far down the road. Mm -hmm. We should be talking about it much earlier. And, and, I've, and engineers fundamentally want to solve the problem. But, you know, what was it that Patton said? The, the, you know, the good plan violently executed is better than the perfect plan too late. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, engineers will study something to death at times. And so part of it's being able to make the right decision at the right time. But, but partnering with your contractors where you have an agreement of how you're going to disagree and then the mechanism to move forward. But the fundamentally at the end of the day, it's just not about them and us. It, it's about a, we put together a project that served the public good. And I, I just, uh, I think too often we lose sight of the relationship that we have with our contractors or subcontractors. And at the end of the day, again, it's all about relationships. That's what's so funny with technology today and everything that we have in place and contracts and everything, at the end of the day, it still comes down to relationships. You know, so, like I said, the, the Army Talk had their slogan that said, mission first, people always. So tell me, um, do you have any specific uh, failures or successes in your career that you could point to that you learned some good lessons from? Because everybody likes to hear stories. So, um, you know, I think we've had our failures where we made the wrong decision at the wrong time uh, or sometimes didn't act when we should. Uh, but strangely enough, I can't say that I had a, a failure you know, something that just went absolutely wrong. Because I think once you figure out that it went wrong, went wrong, you figure out how to fix it. You know, maybe that's the, that's that's a skill set. You know, you, but you know, there there was a project that I had at the flood control district, a vision that I had, and it was called. Uh, and I bring this up; it's the best project I ever came up with. That was a failure, and what I mean by that is. You know, Maricopa County in central Arizona is the confluence of all the river systems for the lower two thirds of Arizona. And the river systems here have been, you know, some have been mined out. And so there's been big federal dollars put in place to to mitigate the, that. Uh, there are other rivers that are pristine and then there's some that are in between. And I had this vision of what I call healthy rivers and how do you put uh how do you how do you work the corridors through a river system and evaluate them so you have the you know the the water corridor that talks about recharge and flood control and then you have the recreational corridor and you have the biological corridor and the development corridor and how do you manage these different corridors what has already been done and what needs to be done so that you don't break a river and have to spend endless taxpayer dollars to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I think conceptually, uh, it was the right thing to do, you know, within the Phoenix area, they have the mountain preserves. So call it the river preserves. How do you, how do you uh, maintain these corridors, which are fundamentally recreation and biological and, and, and infrastructure corridors. And, and it was the one thing, I suppose in myself was a failure of leadership because I just wasn't able to articulate it well enough and convince people that this was influenced people that, that this was something that wasn't a, it was just something to work on a vision to work on uh, that that's good for the community. And sure there'd be lots of challenges with it, 
And so if I had a failure, that was it. But I just didn't have the wherewithal at the time to be able to, to, to get that word started to grow roots and legs and, and could take off. And, and I still think it's a great concept, but I don't know that I had the, the ability or the influence to make it happen. And, what a, and that's what, unfortunate. What about, well, that's a, that's a tough thing because at, at that level, your, your ability to influence people is, uh, is, is these are decision makers and the public all, uh, all together, much larger, much more difficult, <laughs> uh, you know, something to navigate the very political, I'm sure, you know, so, uh, but, uh, of course. but, uh, um, what about, can you point to any, like, uh, you know, talk about maybe a story of a success that you had that, that, you know, and kind of just talk about that in general. Uh, for example, it's more of a leadership success, uh, but it was infrastructure driven when at the army depot that's up in, in Flagstaff, it's a old installation built in 1942 and an active duty installation that was let go by the army in the early 80s because of the BRAC, the Base Reduction and Closure Act. And so the active duty mission went elsewhere, but it still stayed as a training mission uh, for the Arizona National Guard on the installation. And it's 28,000 acres. Uh, so it was a big installation. When the Army came in in 1942, selected an Army depot, needed to build 18 depots across the country. In nonce, they built, uh, again, 28,000 acres, 777 magazines, 38 miles of rail. I mean, I talk about magazines, arch culvert, uh, explosive bunkers, mm-hmm. uh, and 250 miles of road. So when I was at Camp Navajo up in, I went there in 19, in, uh, in 2014, uh, the industrial operation needed some perspective. And the goal of the industrial operation, basically using all of this legacy infrastructure to store munitions for federal entities, but it was a state business enterprise. It had no federal or state dollars associated with it. It was, you make money off of labor and, and uh, uh, storage, and then you reinvest that in the installation. And, you know, we, the success was being able to bring some consistency to the operation financially, uh, to, to, to understand, you know, well, I, I became a firm believer that if you start an organization, you need to know three things. You need to know the people, you need to know how the money flows, and you need to know what your authorities are. And so with that, you know, I was able to put together a really good organization that that was serving the Navy and the Air Force in storing ballistic rocket motors, doing uh, uh, all uh, working with Raytheons to store and making sufficient making money to be able to reinvest in infrastructure on the installation, you know, roads, buildings, uh, utilities, uh, and it it took a lot of leadership, took a lot of knowledge, and it took a lot of of people willing to see a vision, and and we had a great operation. Uh, That's the and I felt like, kind of business model there, you know. Uh, for, oh, it is. You know, go ahead. I was going to say very much so. To use infrastructure that the army no longer needed that was falling apart to be used to um, uh, to to reinvest in the national defense by doing something for federal entities uh, was really an incredible opportunity. And doing it as a state business enterprise, where it's about as close to a private company but under a, a government oversight was it was just it was an incredible opportunity a lot of very good people and a very very unique mission uh in in redoing 1942 infrastructure for a 20 2020 mission you know kind of going back to and i want to frame this in a way that 
really is applicable to you, you know, because you were a teacher at one point, if you were to go back to, to ASU and you had to give a personal word advice to those engineering or construction students graduating to go out into industry and they want to pursue a, a senior level position within the organization, they're serious about their career. What kind of advice would you give to those people and then also maybe to the mid-career people that want to go to that next level uh, within their career? It's it's the same, and I talked a little bit about it. You know, at both levels, it's really the same. It's know your craft, every opportunity to 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 learn the presentation skills, to be able to talk to people one on one in small groups and stand in front of people at a large group. And then the third is is have a vision, know where you want to go, be able to dream, be able to put your feet up on the table and let your mind wander so you can figure out where you need to be ahead of what you're doing right now. And it, those three skill sets that typically in a career kind of come in progressive order uh, are, are, I think, uh, critical. I think probably if I was going to say the most important of those is your ability to talk to folks. And I know when I first got promoted, general the two star said to me you know tim you got to be able to stand in front of people and be able to talk like you know what you're talking about and be able to influence them and direct them anytime any place anywhere and so that skill set to me is for the younger generation that is maybe so much involved in social media and not the face-to-face -face interaction as much as probably you and i were growing up uh, you know, the ability to, to talk to people at all levels is, is a must do. Uh, people won't follow somebody unless they can stand up in front of them and tell them where they're going. Hey, that's, a, that's a, some excellent advice. So to close this out, I want to kind of get from you. I mean, kind of people, you, you kind of told your story uh, here and, and I think it's interesting to, for, you know, everyone to kind of rank these different topics. And it's just interesting how different people view things that are important or not. And so I'm going to go through some, some topics and I want you to grade them on one to 10, you know, 10 being the most important one being the least important. Now, all of them could be 10, you know, and I've had people do that too. Say every one of them is 10, but, uh, uh, I just want you to assess them. So, with that said, and this is kind of, and if you want to give a, a story why you give a number, you're welcome to give that that background. So the first item is scheduling. On a one to ten basis, how important do you think scheduling is? I would say an eight. Okay. And I think because you've got to have the logical thought to know where you are going. You've got to have the plan. Estimating. Uh, what the, the three keys for project management you know the trifecta there is what schedule cost and scope uh, i give that an answer yeah absolutely you got to be able to to put the dollars to it to know uh, you know the the world runs by dollars so if you're if you don't have a good way to estimate you got to find a way to get the right numbers for it what about contracts the physical contract also an eight because that's your that's your guidance to whoever in fact that may even be a 10 because that's it's essentially your scope of work right and in a lot of respects it's it's what are you expected to do what am i expected to do and it, it's a fundamental communication tool and i found that in my career 95 percent of all problems are fundamentally a communication issue mm -hmm. not not some other problem it's not a material it's not a uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's fundamentally communication or lack thereof. What about, uh, administration of that contract? Well, once you say in a contract, what you're going to do, you got to abide by what you say. And I've, in my career, many times, you know, the, the most embarrassing thing is when somebody says, Hey, your contract says you do this and you haven't, you haven't done it and you have no idea it's in the contract. Uh, so 
you have to adhere to what you say you're going to do. So in order to do that, you got to be vigilant as to what your obligations are. Design. I'd say design, I'd probably give it an eight. I think you could have, and the reason I say that is obviously you got to design something to build it. But if you get three engineers in a room and ask them to design the same thing, you're probably going to get three different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so, so design is important. Getting the design is probably equally important and then executing it is probably most important. But there are a number of ways to solve any problem. It's defining what's the way you're going to go and then committing to it. Accounting. Kind of goes with contracts and kind of goes with money. Uh, and as I said earlier, the three things I've learned in any organization that you got to know are, are people, how the money flows, and then what your contractual obligations are. So uh, you, you've got to, especially in the project management arena, you've got to know where your money is, where when it's coming in, when it's going out, and what it's going to. I think, uh, and, and in my public service career, the flow of money being taxpayer dollars, you had to know. You had to know where you were at. Business development, otherwise known as selling. Right. Uh, maybe a little so on the public sector side, but more certainly so on the private sector is if you're going to find, you got to have somebody dedicated to go find the work. It's not an associated duty or additional duty in my mind. Uh, somebody has to be out there looking for the work and have a certain skill set to do that. You know, I'm not sure I many engineers that are engineers to make good business developers. Uh, but it goes along with that being able to to talk with people on an individual or overall, you know, a, a group basis. You know, any engineer can be a business developer, but they got to be confident in their ability to articulate and talk. So. Absolutely, you got to have business development, and it's a unique skill set. There are people that are really, really good with that, and there are people that are really, really not good at conversation. <laughs> yeah. You don't want those people trying to carry the torch for your company. And I think I already know the answer to this last one, but I'll <laughs> ask it anyhow. Leadership. Absolutely. You know, when you sent me the list of the questions beforehand, I thought, okay, we just go right to number nine. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, 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 to me, that's a 20. That's a 20 because you can't, you know, people, you don't have to be a charismatic person to be a strong leader. You got to understand what kind of leader you are, but you fundamentally have to be able to make the decisions and have the skill set and more than anything else, care about what you're doing and care about the people that are doing it. And so I think how many large companies have we, that we have seen that have failed and you go, they had a good product. What did they do wrong? And it was fundamentally, I think, a failure of leadership, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a failure of thinking strategically, you know, what's the future? We may not like it, but, you know, uh, online media is, is huge. And, and I guess what I mean by that is, you know, you look at some of the companies that just haven't been able to react to the changes in the environment. Uh, and to me, that, that's a failure leadership. You know, the, the funny thing. And, and let me, let, okay. can, I, can I add one thing to that? The other part of leadership that's so very important is, is ethical leadership. You know, how many folks have you heard of basically didn't behave themselves, great leaders, but did it just, you go, why would they, why would they screw their career and their reputation by doing something stupid, uh, ethically? Uh, and, and I've got no time for, you know, uh, uh, no tolerance for unethical, even if they're great leaders. Uh, I fundamental that you got to be true to yourself and people that you're around and, and you know if your leadership style is to 
deceive and overcome and all about yourself, eventually will catch up with you. Yeah, but it still comes down to failure of leadership. And, you know, you hit on a, t a topic really near and dear to my heart about like ethics. You know, obviously we work in an industry that that is a challenge. I'll just leave it as that. <laughs> but but mm -hmm. we work in a very, very uh, ethically challenged industry. And it's good to good to know we have some, some other people out there. I was also going to comment on your your concept of leadership. You were talking about uh, decide what kind of leader you're going to be. Now my son is an my youngest son is an extreme introvert, and obviously I'm not. So uh, because of that, uh, you know, he had said, you know, I can't imagine ever being the president of the company or CEO of the company. And I said, why? And he goes, well, me and you are so different, you know. Um, and I, I couldn't lead that way. And I was like, well, you know, one of the guys that we're going to interview in the very near future is Stephen Gray. Um, he's a he's the CEO of a billion dollar corporation in Lexington, Kentucky, and he's an introvert. And if you talk with him, you figure it out really quick. He's an introvert, but he he still could be a leader, you know. So and he's still a leader. Everybody has their own way they can lead. You're and absolutely right. I could say very much in my career, I was an introvert, and you know. But you, you sort of learn the skills and you adapt to what you need to do. I remember being scared to death standing up in front and doing a presentation. And, and now I can, I can in front of people. So it's, it's skill sets that are learned. But I think the key there is it doesn't matter whether you're charismatic, introvert, extrovert. It is if you understand how you are but have a fundamental desire to lead an influence, there's a way for you to be successful. There is no doubt in my mind. Well, I want to I want to close this out. I want to, of course, give you the last word, but I want to close it out. And first of all, I want to thank you. First of all, thank you for your service. Um, I thank you for your contribution to to uh, you, you. You worked in uh, not only f for the National Guard, but worked in the public sector, uh, heavily involved in making the world we live in a better place. And I, I want to thank you for that. I mean, anybody who does that much time in any branch of service, it has plenty of war stories and pretty difficult times to talk about. And, uh, and uh, I just want to commend you. People don't realize how difficult it can be to, to, to do those type of things, but they can be extremely difficult. And uh, I just want to commend you for that. And um, I want to commend you for your career. Very few people uh, have been have been there and done that like you have you've had some very interesting assignments and very interesting uh responsibilities in your career and um you know i think personally ASU should hire you back so uh learn a lot from you so and as i said i want to give you the last word i think well one thank you for the opportunity uh just the ability, you know, we're doing podcasts and reaching out to, to folks, I think, is, is huge. And the ability to influence. And I hope that, I guess my last word is, I hope something that I said, you know, most people only remember, what, 5% of what you say over the course of an hour. I hope there is something that I said that maybe one of your listeners kind of picked up on and thought, oh, you know what? That's something I hadn't thought about, but that's a good idea. And if that's the case, then, then I'm thrilled to have done this, that maybe somewhere out there, one of your listeners, I've been able to influence them or given them a thought of something that they might have not thought about themselves. Well, thank you once again. And I'll, if it's okay, I'll call you general. And thank you once again. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, and I, uh, I wish you well. Uh, tune in next week for another podcast from Connex.